Today, I want us, I, I invite you to open your Bible to Matthew chapter 2. We have, uh, we're, as Brian mentioned, we, are, we have Christmas in a rearview mirror now. And uh, it's only two days, but it seems like it ended suddenly, at least for me. And, um, and now and we, we have this great time where we, where we spent the entire month of, of Christmas, of December, uh, it, going through Advent, preparing our hearts for the, um, for the message of the birth of Jesus. And then we go home and we open gifts and it's over. Well, the Christmas story is not. As Brian mentioned a moment ago, that uh, the story continues on, uh, and he, he read from Luke chapter 2. And I want to share with you something that's in between those two events that is really one of those parts of Christmas we prefer not to think about. It's the part where after Jesus was born and after the wise men had come to, to give to him uh, gifts, that, that uh, Herod sent his soldiers into, uh, into Bethlehem with the orders to slaughter every male under the age of two years. And uh, that's not a real pretty part of the Christmas story. I heard a, uh, a pastor tell one time about, um, about how in his church they had, every year they had a children's play, Christmas play. And the kids would dress up as shepherds or as wise men or as Mary and Joseph and or sheep or whatever. But there was all there was in this story there was one little girl, a, a second grade girl, who uh, who dressed as and played the part of King Herod. And of course the Christmas story uh, told all the all the way up to the up through the coming of the wise men. And then the pastor was ready to dismiss the. The, the group that had gathered to watch the Christmas program. And uh, as he bowed to pray, he felt a tug on his pants. And he looked down, and there was the young girl who played the part of Herod. And she asked for the microphone. Well, he thought this might be one of those tender moments that kids have. You know, that they're, are they're real cute, real sweet. And so he gives her the microphone. And this girl, still in her costume, still in character, she looks out of the audience and she says, I want you all to know I'm King Herod and I've been watching you and I'm going to come and kill all your babies. Handed the microphone back to the pastor. That's not really the way you want your Christmas play to end, is it? But in the story of the Bible, it does tell us that that's what came next after the birth of Jesus and the coming of the wise men was this moment. How does this fit in to the Christmas narrative? What possible kind of message could God give to us? Especially here, the Sunday after Christmas in, in my lifetime, one of the most difficult years and most unusual years I've been a part of. Uh, and what kind of message might the message out of Matthew chapter 2 teach us and, and tell to us, speak to us with regards to what Christmas is all about. Now, several years ago, many of you will remember Paul Harvey, the 
radio commentator. He used to have a program. At least it was it was on when I was uh, when I was on staff at a church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And every day at about five minutes till noon, I think that was the time. On that station, they aired his program. It was just a five-minute program, but I made sure that I was going to lunch during that so I could listen to that little five-minute program. And then the title of the program, the name of the program was The Rest of the Story. Remember, Paul Harvey would would tell the kind of the the kind of brief statement about an event that took place. Uh, that you, like you might read it in, in a newspaper, three or four paragraphs. And then he would say, now for the rest of the story. And then he would tell the story behind the story. Well, that's kind of what we're going to do here. Uh, undermining or, or uh, beneath this wonderful story of, of Mary and Joseph traveling to Bethlehem, giving birth to Jesus, and all the shepherds come and saying, oh, and the the, the kings coming and saying, here, we give you gifts. There was this backdrop of evil in their world. This backdrop of injustice in their world. We don't like to think about that. We like to see Mary being tender and gentle. We like to think of Joseph being strong and compassionate. We like to think of Jesus being holy and, 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 and meek and mild and just lying there smiling at everyone. But the simple truth is there was the presence of Herod in the world. And Herod showed his face during part of the Christmas story. And I think it's important for us if we really want to understand Christmas to also include this aspect, this part. Of the story. So today, what I'm going to title my sermon is is, the, uh, is Christmas, the rest of the story, and we find it beginning in Matthew chapter two, beginning at verse thirteen. I, I will tell you that that verses one through twelve, which we read last week, the story of the coming of the of the uh, of the wise men, precede this the introduction to this story. Now we're going to come back. To Herod. He's been mentioned before, but just in passing. Now we're going to see him mentioned. And he's not a real pretty uh, guy to take a look at. Now, here's a couple things you need to, to know about Herod uh, in order for you to uh, fully understand or at least get, gain a little bit better understanding of the events that take place here. This is Herod the Great. Herod the Great was, uh, was the king, the Roman king, if you will, over this region. He ruled over this area called Judea. Uh, Herod was a, was a very, can I say that he was crazy? That'd be all right. I mean, he was extremely paranoid. He killed his own wife because he thought that she was out to get him. He married a young Hasmonean uh, uh, princess and they were in the priestly, they, they controlled the priestly uh, line in the temple. And they had a strong influence with, with the Jews. And he thought this would endear him to the Jews. But when she became more popular than him, <clears throat> she had him killed. And she all, he also killed two of her sons. 
just before Herod himself died, five days before, <clears throat> he murdered his own son, who was the heir to the throne. I'm just, this, he's a little bit out there. He's a little bit unusual. And you remember the story of the wise men when they came into, <clears throat> into Jerusalem <clears throat> looking for a king, and the king knew that it wasn't him they were looking for. That caused him to be very concerned. It, 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 it caused great fear to come upon him. Um, and in fact, it says that he was troubled in the verses of the story of the wise men, and all of Jerusalem was troubled with him. And so he, he meets with the wise men to find out the king they're looking for, and, and they say, we don't know, we just saw this star, and the stars led us here, but we know that there's a king of, of, of the Jews that's been born, and he says, well, where could that be? And he consults, Herod does, with his priests, and they all say, in Bethlehem of Judea. So the wise men say, okay, that's close enough. We'll find it from here. And they, they head that way. But as, he, as they drive off on their camels, Herod says, let me know when you find him so I can come and worship him. Says the words. Those were the words of the madman. And he wants to go with them or tells them that. And they say, sure, boss. And they head on off. But then... While they're there, verse 12 tells us that, that they were warned in a dream to not go back to see Herod, so they went home a different way. Now, that's what we pick up, beginning at verse 13. Matthew chapter 2, beginning at verse 13. Look with me as we, as we read together. Now, when they had departed, the wise men had departed, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. And, he, and, uh, and he's, he said, Rise, take up the child, or take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. Now, I just want to interrupt it to just say this. These people have been gone from home for a long time. They, you remember when, when, uh, Mary was told that she was going, she's just a, a, a young girl, maybe a, a, a teenager and earlier to mid-teens. And she wasn't expecting any of this. And the angel appears and says, you've been chosen to bring the, the Christ into the world. And uh, so here's this, this girl who's never had any kind of relationship with a man. She is now going to give birth to the Son of God. And so she, one of the first things that she does, even though she's now betrothed or engaged, she goes and she visits her aunt or her cousin or her relative Elizabeth uh, in Galilee. And so, so she travels down to her home, spends some time with him until John the Baptist is born. And then she comes back home. And as soon as she gets home, they give an announcement that you have to travel to, to, uh, Bethlehem to the home of your lineage so you can be counted in the, census, in the census. And so she and Joseph made way this journey. If they're booking it, they're, it's going to take them a week, week and a half to get there. Uh, 
she's, she's pregnant. I'm not sure they were moving all that quickly. And when they get there, they, they, get, you know, they find a place, a stable, and they give birth to Jesus. Then come the shepherds, then come the wise men. Now, when the wise men came, it's believed by scholars that, they, that it may have been as much as a year or two after the birth of Jesus. When they saw the star in the east, we don't exactly know if that was when he was born or if that was when he was conceived, whatever it might have been. But she's going to have nine months of gestation, going to get delivery to, of the child, and then they're still in, they're no longer in the stable. They've moved into a house, but they're still in Jerusalem. This young couple, they never even had a proper marriage. But here they are, husband and wife now, and they have this little baby to take care of, and they are away from home, away from family. Some of you know what, what that's like, how difficult that is to not have mom and dad to help out as a babysitter when you want to go out to a movie somewhere. They, couldn't, they didn't have that. So Mary and Joseph are away from home all this time, and now they have these gifts and they assume that it's now about time to go home, but here comes that angel again. Take the baby, take his mother, and go to Egypt. Remain there until I tell you. For Herod, that crazy man, is about to search for the baby so that he can destroy him. Now, that, that's not really the kind of angelic message you like to hear, is it? You like to hear, I got good news for you. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. But here, this the angel's message was, get out of town because the mean, mad king is looking for you. Verse 14 says, he rose and he took the child and his mother by night. And they departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. Do you know why they did that? Because that's what the angel told them to do. And they understood the angelic messenger to be delivering a message from God himself. And so they did what the message from God said. They stayed there until Herod died. Now scholars say that Herod died somewhere around 4 BC. Now that's using Josephus, uh, the historian, the, the uh, Jewish historian, kind of contemporary with with uh, Jesus and Josephus kind of he doesn't say that he died in 4 BC because they used a different calendar than we did and so uh, but somewhere that people have gone back in and built up his story and understood it and extract, ex extrapolated certain things and they, they concluded that he died somewhere around 4 BC but in actuality it may have been as late as 1 BC somewhere in that range is when Herod dies. So Jesus, when they get down there, I don't know whether he's there for two weeks, two months, or two years. Scripture doesn't tell us. But as soon as Herod has died, then it's uh, they're going to get word to uh, to return back to uh, to Israel, to Judea. Verse um, verse fifteen. All of this was done to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet 
out of Egypt I called my son. We'll, go, we'll come back here to this verse in, in a moment. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken out of, uh, by the prophet out of Egypt. I have called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. So now you got gasoline being poured on the fire. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and all that region who were two years or under, according to the time he ascertained from the wise men, according to the time when the star appeared to give an indication that, the, that there had been a king born. Then was fulfilled what the prophet, or what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, a voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and, and loud lamentation, Rachel, weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. More about that one in a moment. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to them and appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother, and, and they went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in the place of his father Herod, Joseph was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and he lived in a city called Nazareth. Luke tells us that that was where Mary lived, uh, where she grew up, and probably where he was from as well. But they had been living in Judea for this period of time, gone to Egypt, and they came back probably intending to stay where they were in Jerusalem. Probably easier to find a job there. They cost a little bit more, but pays better, all those kinds of things. And the, the, probably the most important thing of all, it's not Nazareth. And so they go up to Nazareth uh, rather than uh, staying in Judea. And this was done that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. He shall call his name, or he shall be called a Nazarene. Again, more about that in just a moment. In fact, in just a moment, we'll do the rest of the story. We'll kind of fill uh, all of that in. Uh, this, this story indicates to me some important lessons for us to know and to understand with regard to the, the climax of the Christmas story. It doesn't end with the nativity with everyone standing around singing Silent Night. But rather, it, it ends with this horrible, horrendous event where Herod is killing innocent children up to two years of age. I, I think, how would, you, how would you feel? What would you think about your government if that were their approach? If that was the, the way that they would do things, killing innocent babies. Oh, wait. 
We do do that, don't we? We can understand the horror of this moment. Especially for those mothers and those fathers who had the two-year-old son that they had been raising and were delighted with and they dreamed about all the things that he was going to grow up to become. All of a sudden to be taken from them because of an, a madman who was frustrated and now turned loose on them. I think there are some things this story tells us that we need to know and to understand today. Otherwise, we're going to live in the world that we live in with doubt and discouragement and despair and hopelessness. Have you noticed that this year, how kind of the, the mood of people has kind of gone downhill the later on into the year we've gotten? Have you noticed, have you seen the, uh, uh, the faces of moms who have learned to become school teacher on top of all the other jobs that they've got? To be the cook and the launderer and, and work jobs themselves? And they, it's it's a burdensome year. That's just that's a a real tender way of saying it. it's been a tough time. There are people that have had uh, had this virus. There are people that have lost loved ones during this time and not been able to get in to visit them in the hospital or into the care facilities. Or people who. Uh, well, you, you know what it's been like. Couldn't couldn't have a funeral for their loved one. These are hard, hard, hard times. Does Christmas address that? Well, let me give you a couple, three things that I get out of the story that we just read. The first thing that I want to focus on today is that God permits evil injustice and suffering in the world you and I live in. In other words, you and I need to understand, we need to grow up and understand we don't live in Candyland. Where everything is balloons and lollipops. Just because we are believers, followers of Jesus Christ does not mean that we're not going to experience a world where there is evil, and injustice, and suffering, and madmen calling some shots that are painful. Yeah, that, and I'm not just talking about kings and governors. That could be, that could be business people. That could be where you go do your grocery shopping. It's just God permits evil to exist in our world. Now, I, I specifically chose the wording for that because I want you to understand. The important word in there is the word permits. God permits evil. But we have to understand, God is still on his throne. God permitted us to go through COVID-19 and go through the year that's been affected. And it's going to turn, probably going to carry on over into 2021. I don't know whether that'll be for a month or for the entire year, or maybe years yet to come. But I want you to understand that God is permitting it. 
you understand that? And, and the ramifications of that? If God's permitting it, that means that God is sovereign over it. So where's our solution going to come from? Why, of course, science, right? That's what we hear. But science isn't sovereign over this. God is. And there are parts about the way that God works that we'll never understand. If we understand why God allows evil in our world today, in your world today, you're going to go bats. You're going to go crazy trying to figure it out. Because it's, it just doesn't make sense to us, I don't believe. But here's the other part of this equation. God permits the evil, the injustice, and the suffering of the world. But God also limits it. God only lets it go so far. Let me, uh, let me take this, take you back to our story now. Did you notice how, how when things took place, God knew what was going to happen, and God allowed Satan to come in working through, I believe, the personification or the metaphor for Satan in this story is Herod. And Herod is permitted to do certain things, but only to go so far. So God speaks to Joseph, sends his angel to tell him to get the child and go to Egypt, away from the rule and the reign of Herod. And God put the limits on what Herod could do. And then when it was time to come back, God came in and said, all right, um, now it's time. Now it's time. You can, you can return. It's safe for you to return. But then, of course, Joseph says, wait, Herod's son's on the throne. They might have had lunch one day, and he might still be looking for the king. You, ne you never know. I guess maybe the, the nut doesn't fall far from the tree. And so maybe Archelaus was a little bit out there. But he didn't, he didn't want to return, so he went instead to, uh, to Galilee. But here's the point. God limits this evil, and he intervenes in the story repeatedly God is the one who's in control and if you will look back on this frustrating year and seeing how the mood of the world has gone down and how probably the mood of yourself has declined as well if you will stop long enough you can look you can take a step back and you will see God's hand along the way protecting you providing for you caring for you bringing people around with encouragement at the right times when you when you needed it to produce hope in your life in some way god is sovereign over the evil in this world and he limits the evil in this world. let me tell you something you ought to be more excited about that than you than you're demonstrating that god has control over the evil in this world because if evil were turned loose we wouldn't recognize this place. It would literally be like the, the dust storm after Herod swept through. Evil is bent on, on, on just destruction of lives and individuals. Christmas morning in Nashville, a bomb goes off at 6.30 in the morning. Why? Evil. God allows it. But you know what? When I watched that on the news um, yesterday, 
uh, I thought, you know what? I didn't even hear that blast. I didn't feel the, re the repercussions from it. I wasn't there. I was, I don't know, 600 miles away from there. But God limited it to this one spot, this one place. We don't know who did it or why, at least I don't. And so I'm just, God is in control. And in the world we live in, we need to know that and remember that. And God will not allow a thing to happen to you that he doesn't permit. Satan is limited. Evil is limited. Injustice is limited. It's present and it's active, but it's limited and it's under the restraint and the interventions of Almighty God. That's number one. There's a number two to this story, to the, the number two lesson, and that is that everything that took place in this story took place in accordance with God's plan. Do you hear? Do you let that soak in a little bit? Not only is God permitting it, God has a plan that He's following. Let me tell you. When Mary and Joseph were told individually about Mary's uh, conception of the Son of God giving birth to him and bringing the Savior into the world, when that took place, it wasn't like one Thursday afternoon God said, you know what, I guess it's time we send someone. Jesus, are you packed yet? He didn't, that isn't the way it happened. When God created the world, the Bible says uh, he started on day one, and you can read about this in the book of Genesis yourself, but when God created the world, he had already planned the way that it was to go. And things were going to happen. You can read about them throughout the Old Testament, where this happened, and this happened, and this happened, that you wonder, why? Because that was the plan of God. And God was working his plan out. Fast forward to where we are today in this story where Mary and Joseph are going to Egypt. Do you know why they're going to Egypt? Because that was the plan. Not only was it the plan, uh, but God revealed that plan little in little, little bites, little chunks, little at a time from this person and from that person. In this event and that event, there were prophecies given by God, given by men from God, that lay out this plan. There were over, the scholars have said, that there were over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament with regards to the birth of Jesus. And Jesus met every one of them. One scholar, one mathematician said, you know what the odds are, are that one person independent from anyone else would, would complete all 300 of the Old Testament prophecies? He said, if you just figure that he, that he met eight of them, and Jesus met all 300, but if you, met, if you, if you just conclude that he, he were to, to meet the, the requirements in eight out of those 300, the odds of that happening are 1 in 10 to the 17th power. 
Now what 10 to the 17th power is, write down 10 and then put 17 zeros after it. I think it comes out something like 100 million billion. That's a big number. Uh, those odds are, are amazing, but Jesus met them all. Why? Because that was God's plan. Did you notice that there were three times I mentioned to you that we would come back in a moment? Uh, there were three times in the storyline that we read where it says that God, this happened so that what was prophesied would be fulfilled. So this is part of the story. Look at verse 15. Verse 15 says that this, uh, that they, that they went to Egypt and they remained there. And it says that this was in order to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, by the prophet Hosea in Hosea 11.1, 1, that where it says out of Egypt, I called my son. Now, if you were to go back and read Hosea 11.1, 1, it doesn't say that Jesus would come out of out of Egypt, but it says that that God delivered His Son out of Egypt. Probably, the the prophecy at that time was in regards to the way that God had taken the nation of Israel out of Egypt. But it was a prophetic utterance to talk about how Jesus would be a fulfillment of that. Then you'll notice that there's another time. The second time is in verse 17. In verse 17. Verse 18, it says that this was done in order to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 31, verse 15. That there will be great mourning and great weeping and great sadness to come upon Rachel. Rachel was the mother of Joseph, the mother of Benjamin, in uh, one of, of four wives. Uh, of uh, Jacob of Israel and so this is talking about how the children of Israel are going to suffer great tragedy um, at the hands of this evil but that was part of God's plan God said this was done to fulfill that plan verses 19 to 23 where it, where it speaks of, of the return of Jesus from Egypt and then settling to, be, to, to uh, become a Nazarene. Now, I will tell you, if this one is the hard one to put a chapter and verse on where the prophecy was. It may refer to a prophecy out of the book of Numbers or one out of the book of Judges. But here's, here's what helped give me this understanding. The word Nazarene is a, the Greek word for that, or the, I shouldn't say the, the Hebrew, what the Hebrew said when they were talking about being a Nazarene was they used the word Netzer. N-E-T-Z-E-R in English. Netzer. And literally it means a branch or a root. Now we may not see all of these other uh, uh, all of these other uh, verses stipulate this chapter and verse but you've heard that Jesus is called um, the, the root of, De of Judah, the root of David. That he is an offspring that it will shoot up. You can go over to Isaiah chapter 11 verse 1 for that. But here's what I'm trying to say. Things that took place 
that leave us scratching our head were all part of the plan. That causes, to me, that causes the fulfillment of all this stuff to become more wonderful. Just more amazing, more spectacular when we see the, the uh, uh, fulfillment of God's plan taking place. And thirdly, third lesson that I want to share with you today is that, do you understand that God's active in your situation? God's active in your... There are times we might say, well, you know, maybe he's... I don't, I don't see him. I can't feel him. I can't... Uh, it just seems like he's going from bad to worse. That doesn't mean God's not there. And God is active in the drama of your life. And the play that is, that is flesh, being fleshed out of your life. God is active. And God is involved. In this, in this story, we see how when the wise men came, that they gave the gifts of the gold and the frankincense and were very valuable gifts had great worth to them. And that was how their lives, the early part of their lives, were financed, probably. I don't, I really, uh, I really don't believe that when the wise men dropped off the gifts, that Joseph said, you guys stay here, I'm gonna go to the casino. <laughs> I, really, I don't believe that that's what Joseph did. I really believe that Joseph saw it as God's provision. This should get us back home to, uh, to Galilee, to Nazareth. Not only did it get them home to Nazareth, it got them down to Egypt. And from there, back to Judea, and from there, back to Galilee. God provided for everything that they needed. Now listen, I'm going I'm to offend somebody. I don't know who. But I want to tell you the way God provides for you're, you're going through life, and you come up with something that you want. God, give me the money for this law, whatever it is. Or I need this money, and we want to go out to the mailbox and open up, and there it magically is. When the, when the shepherd, or when the wise men gave the gifts to Jesus, or and to Mary, to Joseph, they had no clue what it was for. But the provision was made before the need came up. And that's how God does in the in your life. You're praying for for provision, for whatever it might be, uh, and if it's something that God wants you to have, you've got it. It's already been provided for you. Some of us sometimes God provides for us in advance, and we don't take care of it. We don't use it properly. The Bible is. This is not a sermon on. Tithing, but I'll just tell you, the Bible is very clear that if you want to be blessed by God, bring the tithe from that which you've already received, bring the tithe into the storehouse, and try me and see if I can pour out a blessing on you that your barns can't even hold. When we are faithful in this, then we're probably not going to be squandering this. And when the need comes up, the provision has been made. That's just one way that God is personally involved in the drama, the story of your life. And we see that that was also one of the ways 
that it, that it was uh, demonstrating God's activity in this storyline. So we, we have this, this part of the Christmas story that we don't really like, but at the same time, it teaches us things that we need to know and remember. God's real. God is active. God is working in your life, making a provision for you. Yes, he's allowing evil right now. But the day is going to come when all evil will be destroyed. How's that for a Christmas gift? That day, we are marching toward it. I don't know if it's going to be the end of this week. Maybe the beginning of next year. Maybe 10,000 years from now. But that's where we're headed. Because that's what God promised. And God is working his plan and his purpose out. Trust him. Trust him. See God's hand all around you. Be faithful and, and steadfast with the way that you handle the blessings that God gives to you. And watch how God takes care of you. I want you to bow your head with me, if you will. Father, today as we've just celebrated Christmas, having exchanged and received gifts from friends and family, having celebrated together and lonely perhaps because we were unable to be together with some. But Lord, today as we reflect on the rest of the story, as we, as we follow it on through, we see how you are acting and how you are at work not only in the world of Mary and Joseph and the story of Jesus, but how active you are in the story of our lives. How you are sovereign and in control over everything that we face in life. So today, Father, give us hearts just to understand and to receive the knowledge of your presence and activity in our lives. So that, Father, we will we'll know and understand during difficult times when they come, and they do and they have and they are, that we have a God who's there with us, guiding and protecting and providing for every need that we'll come across. So, Father, today I pray that we would recognize who you are in the Christmas story. Thank you, Father, for speaking to our hearts today from your word. Now, Father, may we make commitments of our lives to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray together. Amen.